Good morning. Higher ground. Higher ground. What an appropriate song to go along with this morning's lesson and the bulletin this week. Hopefully, hopefully, y'all had a chance to read the bulletin this week, the bulletin article, which began by noting all of the things that are about to start taking place. What an exciting time it is to be part of the congregation here at Shoto Hills. So many upcoming opportunities and events that uh, as things start to get rolling again and as we continue to move upward and onward and forward into 2022. And so Higher Ground is a very appropriate song. Not only do we have a lot of events coming up, as you saw in the announcements and again as the bulletin article highlighted, but we're also about to turn the page this morning into a new chapter of this congregation's growth and development as I have been requested by the elders to please preach a reminder sermon on the biblical topic of deacons. The reason for this is that they request that we review the subject of deacons in order that after this lesson is over, the congregation will be given two weeks between today and Sunday, January 30th, to submit the names of those men and their wives who meet the biblical qualifications which God has laid down for those who would serve as deacons and their wives in his son's church. The plan as it is currently constituted is to then appoint new deacons, most likely on Sunday morning, February 6th. We'll leave it at that, on Sunday, February 6th. But as we know, as things went this morning, not everything always goes according to plan, but that's the plan at this point, so. Um, but another thing that I want to remind us of is, as we begin this lesson, besides just the, the obvious, the potential appointment of new deacons, another point is I want to continue to reemphasize, and especially, especially, especially to our young people in particular, whether here or, or those watching at home, I want to remind you that as we study this in, in just a, a brief synopsis this morning, these traits that we are about to discuss, these are the traits that God wants for all of his people, all of his people, to start learning and developing and practicing and becoming known for from the moment of their baptism into Christ. Speaking of that as we get going, you, you may recall from the, the previous sermon series that I did here about a year ago on elders and deacons, how it was pointed out that there is no office anywhere on this planet. There is no office that is higher or more important in this or any other land including the office of the President of the United States that is any more, again, higher or important than that of an elder in the Lord's Church. An elder, yes. 
You'll recall in that sermon series that I noted how James Garfield, the 20th president of the United States, and a former elder and evangelist in the church, reportedly stated as he relinquished his position as an elder, quote, I resigned the highest office in the land to become the president of the United States. Likewise, deacons and their wives, as we see in scripture, are to possess many of the same qualities and character traits as those of elders and their wives in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. One more time, these are the cream of the crop characteristics and qualities which all of God's children, all of God's children, should be seeking to constantly develop and exhibit in their lives as much as possible on an ever-increasing and daily basis. The outline that we will sort of be using for this morning's sermon is the five W's formula of journalism. For those of you that might not be familiar with it, they tell you that in journalism, in, in writing a, a good article, you must concentrate on the five W's, the who, what, when, where, and why. Sometimes, even the how, although that is often covered within the what, the where, and the when. Now, I'm going to mix those five W's up a little bit this morning. Some text you're going to see a little bit of an overlap, but I'll strive to keep it as clear as I can because God's text doesn't sort them out one at a time that easily. Sometimes there's an overlapping, and so there will be in the lesson. We'll begin with the first W, or what. What? What exactly is a deacon? The Greek word from which we get deacon is diakonos. That word is used 30 times, more than 30 times, in the Greek New Testament. And I know that some of this is going to sound familiar because of the sermon series a year ago here where we talked about deacons in one of those. Matter of fact, some of this material is the same material, but some of it you may find a, a couple of other things in there. And certainly as a refresher, we need to know them all. Again, this word diakonos is found 30 plus times in the New Testament. And according to Strong's outline of biblical usage, the word means one who executes the commands of another, especially of a master. So we see what a deacon then is. A deacon is a servant. A deacon is an attendant. A deacon is a minister. In fact, in the King James Version, the old King James, the word diakonos is often translated minister 20 times, in fact. In fact, it's, it's, it's translated minister 20 times. It's translated as servant eight times, and only three times is it translated deacon. Only three times. Now, when the old King James uses the word diakonos to talk about a minister, it's not talking about like the guy that stands up in front of y'all and preaches. That's, that's not what it's talking about. Minister is simply to serve. We are to minister to one another, right? We are to serve one another. That's what the word means. To minister, I, I 
I think I told you this before, but I was preaching down at a, a lectureship in, in Taunton, Massachusetts at one time, and one of the first things I did when I got up there was I said, with all of the ministers, because it was, it was preachers and congregations, it was like affirming the faith, okay? Only not as big. And so I said, when I got up there, I said, with all of the ministers in the audience today, before we get started, please stand up. And you had probably, I don't know how many men, but you had, you know, maybe 20, 25 men stand up, something like that. They sat back down. I said, okay, let's try this again. Would all the ministers that are here today please stand up? Same guy stood up. And then I saw a few smiles. A few other people stood up. I said, let's try this one more time. Sit down. So I said, will all the ministers please stand up? And by that time, everybody had it because we're all ministers, aren't we? We're all servants. That's what the word diakonos means in its generic sense. A minister, a servant. It is used this way in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and 6, when Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Old King James, let him be your minister. Diakonos. That did not mean... Amongst the apostles, whoever wanted to become great among them needed to be a deacon in the church. But it's the same word. That's what it means. Did you know that the Bible even uses the word diakonos in reference to Jesus? Now, Jesus was not a deacon in the church. But he was definitely a minister and a servant. Romans chapter 15, verse 8 says... Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant, diakonos, to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the Father. So again, that's what the word means. It means a servant. The Apostle Paul also used that same word, diakonos, in Colossians 1, 23 and 25 when he referred to himself as a minister. So that kind of takes care of the what. That brings us to the second W. Or where? Where did they have deacons in the New Testament in, in reference to a church work? Well, in Philippians 1 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote to the first century congregation of the Lord's church in Philippi, and this is what he said. He said, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops, elders, and deacons. As we read Philippians 1.1, where he wrote to all the saints with the bishops, elders, with the elders and deacons, it shows that, that they were set apart for something. They weren't just part of the congregation. They were part of the congregation, but, but there was something else about them. They were set apart. There was something different. All the saints and the elders and the deacons. Kind of a specialized service that they had to perform, if you will. But when we get into the real discussion of exactly where this portion of the structure of the Lord's New Testament church originated, we need to go back to Acts chapter 6. Please open your Bibles there. Now, again, as I, I said in the previous study, you're not going to see the word evangelist in Acts 6. You're not going to see the word not in reference to these men. You're not going to see the word elders. You're not going to see the word deacons. But what you are going to see 
is the beginning or where this, where this process began, where this developmental stage of the Lord's church came from. In Acts chapter 6, we're going to see the early stages and responsibilities of preachers and elders and deacons seen here. And as we go back to Acts chapter 6, we're going to find part of the when, the why, and the who also answered and addressed altogether there, in large part as well. With that in mind, Acts chapter 6. Now in those days, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Church is growing. There's a, there's a problem. There's a problem that needs to be addressed. There's a situation that, that needs to be handled within the group. And we see that the apostles say here, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We've got something we need to do. And it is not in the best interest of anybody involved that we stop feeding the flock, as it were, spiritually in order to go feed them physically. That's, that's not good for the flock. That's not good for us. That's the, we can't lead the way we should. They can't follow the way they should. We've got this problem, but, but we need to do this. We need to deal with the spiritual issues that are ongoing. Elders today, like their apostolic predecessors in this particular passage, need to be devoted to the spiritual teaching, to the spiritual leading and guiding and feeding and health and well-being of the flock of God, which is under their control, under their charge, as it were, if indeed it is going to flourish as God intended. They need to tend to the spiritual needs of the flock to the extent that when something comes up that needs to be handled, yeah, it is a problem and it needs to be dealt with, but it, it, it doesn't have to do with, with the overall spiritual things that they should be involved with. They need to be able to assign the lesser physical menial tasks and errands to other faithful men, to other trusted servants. Brother Stan Mitchell in the 2013 Spiritual Sword said that elders must manifest deep concern for every member's emotional and spiritual state. This is why the task of feeding the widows, Acts 6, 1 through 7, along with deciding what color to paint the classrooms and where to buy the grape juice, should be left to others. The elders deal with the most important resource in the church, and that is the souls of her members. And to leave the ministry to the souls in the church to go deal with what color we're going to get in the new songbooks is not something they should be doing. 
That's not what they're charged with. So, when? When should there be deacons? When there is some specific physical need that arises that needs to be taken care of within the congregation. Some specific physical need is when. Why? So that elders can continue to address the spiritual growth and health and well-being and teaching of God's flock which has been entrusted to them. Verses 3 and 4, Acts 6. The apostles continued, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Once again, you see that the elders are giving themselves to the spiritual needs. So they say, select these, these seven men with these qualities whom we may appoint over this business. And, and again, we see the what. In the what, the congregation is to do. We also see the what in what the elders, or the apostles in this case, are to do. Notice they say, whom we may appoint over this business. That's important. It's important because there was a specific ministry that needed to be dealt with. There was a specific task given. There was a specific need that came up. That's why deacons were appointed, or that's why in this case these, these men were appointed to deal with that physical need. It's something that come up. It's something that needed to be done. It needed to have its own, its own group of people overseeing that so that the apostles could continue to feed the flock spiritually. And so when that need come up, that specific need or task or ministry they needed these men to do it. Just like an appointment to the eldership, an appointment to the deaconship is neither a personal, political, popularity, personality, or seniority rewards contest. It is none of those things. It's not like voting for your favorite guy just because he's your favorite guy. That's not what this is about. Neither is it a title, deacon so-and-so, no. Neither is it a reward. Oh, you've done this for many years. We're going to reward you. We're going to make you deep. No, that's not what it is. It's not a title. It's not an award or a reward that is given in recognition of somebody's personal pedigree, past service, secular accomplishments, weekly attendance, or anything else. It is none of those things. That is not what appointing deacons is about. And it can never be. You know what it is? It is simply the assignment by the elders of a very specific job or physical responsibility that comes up and needs to be taken care of within the church to a very select 
specific and trustworthy brother or group of brothers who meet God's very specific list of requirements as outlined in Scripture and have already proven their ability and faithfulness to get the job done to the rest of the congregation. That is what the appointment of deacons is. I'm not going to read that long, lengthy sentence again. You can listen to it because everything I say is recorded pretty much. But it's important that we understand that as, as Brother Roper and, and Brother Cloer would confirm, quote, a deacon, diakonos, is a servant, one who gets something done at the behest of a superior, an assistant to someone. Deacons are to get something done at the behest of the elders. They are assistants to the elders. The definition indicates that a deacon is not simply one who holds a position, but rather is one who gets something done. Brothers Roper and Cloer. Which is, of course, the very specific task, what they're to get done is, of course, the very specific task for which they were selected and appointed to take care of in the first place. Verses 5 and 6. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. The first thing that I would like to note here in verse 5 is that these seven men, just like the deacons that would later follow in the Lord's church as this, as this way of assigning things to be done by leadership continued to grow and evolve in the first century. These seven men in verse 5, just like the deacons to follow, had to first be recognized by their brethren as meeting a very specific list of God-given requirements. That is crucial. If we miss that, we've missed, we, we can't, we've missed everything. They had to first be recognized as, by their brethren as meeting a very specific list of God's requirements. They've got to be this, the, the uh, apostle said, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Th that was their requirements. And we see that after they were appointed, church grew, grew like wildfire. Today's list of requirements is a little different. As we move on through the first century and, and more of God's revealed will was, was put out there and because we know it was all finished by the last book of the Bible by about the end of the first century with the writing of Revelation that we had everything from God. But, but right here early on in the church, we haven't gotten up here where God has given us the, the completed picture yet. But as, as we do that, we go through into some of Paul's later writings and we find out that in 1 Timothy we have a list of specific requirements today that these men who would be deacons and their wives need to meet and they need to be recognized by the congregation as possessing these. That's why it's so important as we talk about these character traits. Again, young people, that you start developing these from the moment you're baptized into Christ, that you become known for these. The congregation had to select men and their wives who they knew to be 
those specific things. We need to select men and their wives who have proven to be specific things, very certain specific things as found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to turn there with me this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and, and I will say this right up front. If you want to look at these more in depth as you consider those that you might suggest meet the requirements, but you want to know more about the requirements, you can go back to sermon number 218 from February 21st of last year at godswordistruth.org and you can get real in-depth with these, the stuff I preached before. But this morning, just as a very brief synopsis of this text in 1 Timothy 3, just by way of reminder, let's take a look at verses 8 and following. He talks about elders in, ch in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verses 1 through 7. Then he says, likewise, verse 8, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. First word is likewise. Again, very similar to elders. That's what that means, because he just talked about elders in verses 1 through 7. Likewise, or in similar fashion to the elders, deacons must be certain things. This is non-negotiable. This is not up for discussion. They must be certain things. When God says you must be born again, how much wiggle room does that give you? None. None. When God says something must be this way, and I realize must isn't in the original text as a word, but it is there in the force of the Greek. It has to be this way. If it's not this way, we're disobedient to God. So let's make sure that these people are these things. They must be, number one, reverent. Worthy of respect. That's what the word means, reverent. Worthy of respect. Worthy of our respecting them to get the job done. They must not be double-tongued. What does that mean? It means not two-faced. Not saying one thing to one person and something totally different to another person with the intent to, to deceive. Can't go over here and tell this brother, well, well, in this situation, this happening, go over here and tell this brother who's of a different opinion, well, this is what happened. Double tongue, saying, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, chameleon Christianity, call it whatever you want, they can't be that. And it makes sense, if you're going to have a person in a leadership position, you don't want them telling everybody something different about the same situation. Makes sense. Not addicted to much wine, not a consumer of alcohol, not greedy for money is pretty self-explanatory. One who holds the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. What does that mean? Briefly and simply stated, it means he must be one who knows and lives the word of God faithfully. That's what it means. Knows and lives the word of God faithfully. Doesn't mean perfectly. Nobody in this room lives it perfectly. It's not a slam I could ask for raising of hands. If you've lived the word of God perfectly since your conversion, raise your hand. See? Nobody's done it. Does not mean lived it perfectly. But it does mean lived it faithfully. One who knows and lives the word of God faithfully. Verse 10. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. These men and their lives must be examined, must be looked at thoroughly, 
And then they can serve as deacons if their lives pass the test, especially when it comes to these qualities and qualifications. That's verse 10. Verse 11, likewise, hmm, seen that word before, right? Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. <laughs> likewise, to their deacon husbands, who likewise to the elders, see all these qualities go together. These are the same sort of caliber or quality of people, okay? And again, the word must. Likewise, their wives must be, they must be these four things. We know there's, depending on who you talk to, five or six steps in salvation. We, we understand what they are. The sixth one is, is being faithful unto death, obviously. But let me ask you a question. If somebody teaches you the first four but doesn't teach you baptism, can you be saved? Leaving one out? No. No. If you've got these five but you don't live faithfully, go right back to living the way you used to go back to living. Will that save you if they don't tell you about the last one? No. The point is, is when God lays down a series of things, you can't leave out one and say, I still got it done. No, you need them all. And so whether we're talking about elders, deacons, their wives, we're talking about an entire list. And so we see that their wives must be all four of these, not just three out of four. 75% don't get it. Okay? Things they must meet for requirements. They must be reverent or worthy of respect, same as their husbands. They must be not slanderers. They can't be women who run around maliciously gossiping or talking down or, or slandering or, or creating doubt about other people. They must also be temperate like their husbands and faithful in all things like their husbands. Faithful in all things. Again, not perfect. Faithful. Verse 12. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their houses well. As I said, if you want to get real deep in all this, you can go back and listen to that lesson I preached last year on this. But for brevity's sake, and just as a reminder, we could sum up verse 12 like this. Like the elders, these must be scripturally married men who are respected and recognized as being the loving spiritual heads and leaders of their Christian households. That pretty much sums up verse 12. I don't think sometimes in the church we necessarily understand the importance of some of the things that we do. Sometimes in, in our example, maybe we don't fully understand the impact our example can have on those around us. We, we tend to think, well, you know, I hope it does, but it probably won't, that sort of thing. What, what I want for us to understand in reference to this is, is that as a congregation member, whether you are here this morning, whether you are at home this morning, but as a congregation member, Yours is an extremely weighty, important, and biblical task that is now at hand. It is not to be taken lightly. 
it is not to be looked at frivolously or without a lot of thought, prayer, consideration, and honest biblical appraisal. You see, submitting names for, for deacons or elders is not just, oh yeah, I do this, 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 okay, got it done. This is so much more important than that. You've got to understand, again, that you as a congregation have an extremely important responsibility and biblical task at hand. This is what it is. It is to take up the lenses, the glasses. Remember this, I'm not hiding from you. It is to put on the lenses or the glasses of God's holy word and to look through these lenses alone in order to be able to clearly see those men and their wives whom God has already, already brought along to the point they meet these qualifications. The Bible is the glasses or the lenses through which we are able to see these men and recognize them and their wives that God has prepared to be deacons here in his son's church in Shoto Hills. According to the pattern that we see in Acts chapter six, verses five through seven, it is your job as a congregation, your job as an individual saint in this church, your job, your responsibility to choose the men who will serve as your deacons according to the biblical parameters that you have been given. That's your job. And then set them before or recommend them to the elders over the next two weeks because that is what they have requested the elders whose job it is then to bless and appoint each one of them to their specific work wherein they are needed, Acts 6.6. 6. If we want God to bless this congregation to the utmost, Acts 6 and verse 7. I'm going to ask that you join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we have assembled on this first day of the week, on your day, to worship you in spirit and truth. Father, whether here or via the live stream, Father, we, we are humbled and awed by your presence, by your patience, by your plan by your mercy, your love, and your goodness. And Father, we recognize this morning that just as you had a plan in place before the foundation of the world to send your son to die for us on the cross, just as you had a plan to send him that those who accepted that gift by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins could from that point on be a part of his church, his saved group, his ecclesia, his called out. What a beautiful and glorious plan. But Father, you didn't stop there. We recognize this morning in humility and gratitude that you have a plan for that church. But you have a plan for this church. Father, that you showed us that plan and the establishment of elders, and deacons 
shepherds to take care of the spiritual needs, who could assign to trustworthy and faithful men the tasks of taking care of some of the physical needs. And Father, for the rest of us as servants and members to be able to allow them to guide and lead and serve us. What a beautiful plan. And, and Father, as we continue forward this morning into 2022, this new year you've allowed us to have, we want to follow your plan all the way, Lord, always. And so we ask for your help and your guidance for every member of this congregation as they consider the very serious and sobering task at hand to set forth the name of those men and their wives to serve as deacons whom they know have come to be recognized for meeting those qualifications. Father, help our elders. Give them spiritual wisdom and guidance as well throughout this process that they might appoint those men and their wives over the works that need to be done. And Father, help us all to move forward in harmony and in unity. Lord, from the oldest elder to the newest member, help us to move forward into this new year, strengthening one another, being strengthened by one another, taking advantage of the many opportunities that you have given us this new year to grow in our faith. Father, may we just explode with growth, both inwardly and outwardly. Father, we know the only route to doing that is by doing things your way, and so we pray for your wisdom and guidance in all things, not just the appointment of deacons, that we will do all things your way, because we know when we do, you bless it. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for defeating us when we need to be defeated. Thank you for making us victorious when we are obedient. Thank you for your love and your grace this day. Help us, Lord, as we move forward. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, if you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel, you've never started that journey, we'd love for you this morning, if you've heard that Jesus is Lord and you believe that, and you believe he is the Son of God, if you're willing to confess him as Lord, to repent of your sins, to turn away from your life that you've been living and to turn to God and to live for him, to be baptized, get that clean slate. You gotta have that clean slate. You can't, you can't be a member of the blood washed strong until your sins are forgiven in the blood. Start that journey this morning by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then rising up to walk in newness of life, that newness of life that is a constant constant effort to develop and strengthen these characteristics and qualities we've talked about with elders and deacons and their wives today. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ, but you know that in some of these areas that you're lacking, that you need to grow. If you can use the prayers of the church, we're here for you. We would love to do that now. Anything that we can do to help, would you please come to the front as we stand and as we sing?